is trusting in the Father God, trusting in Jesus. How do we go in Glory to God. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think we're working. Hallelujah. Oh, look at this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's a bank holiday tomorrow, so you can go on and go. Don't say that to me. Don't tempt me with a good time. You guys bear with me one second. These mortal bodies can feel tired sometimes, huh? Have you noticed that? Even God, when he put on our mortal body, felt tired sometimes. I mean, Jesus is God, right? And God Almighty, when he put on these bodies that we're in, he even felt tired sometimes and was like, I got to pull back and go like chill for a little bit and get some rest. You know what? I feel like there's somebody here that despises themselves for feeling weakness or think that there's something wrong with them if they feel weak or they feel emotionally distraught. And I just feel like God wants you to know that it's a common thing that you could feel that because you're in a mortal body. And that it's not that something's wrong with you when you feel weak. It's not that something's wrong with you when you could feel overwhelmed or emotional. It doesn't mean you're not in faith. It doesn't mean God's not there. It doesn't mean life's far from you. What it means is you're in a mortal body. And that the, the evidence that God would give you to tell you there's nothing wrong with you for that is when he put on these bodies we're clothed in, he also felt weakness. He also felt tired. He also felt overwhelmed sometimes. And you might think, how could that be? Well, what do you think is going on in a guy when he's sweating blood? Mm. You think he's feeling it? Mm. You think he's feeling like this body's being overwhelmed? I feel like so many times it's not really what we're going through that's the problem, but it's what we judge about what we feel when we're going through it that is the real problem. Right? I know in my own life, I thought I wasn't supposed to feel weakness of. I thought if I'm really in faith, I'm not, I should never feel weak. Right? I should always just feel strong. Right? Strong in the Lord. And if certainly if I feel weak or if I feel overwhelmed, then I must not be in faith. I must be in unbelief. And what I've learned is that the pain that came from the weakness and feeling overwhelmed is because I judged it to be a sign that I was somehow far from life, or God must be far from me if I feel this way. And I remember I was praying to God all the time, Lord, take this unbelief. Lord, take this unbelief. You remember the guy? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know? And I spent years doing that. And God was like, listen, was Jesus now in unbelief when he was sweating blood? And I was like, no. So why is it you think you're in unbelief, right? Because you feel weak. Or because you feel overwhelmed. Or because you feel like there's just too much. I feel like there's somebody in here that feels like life right now is just too much. And it's enough to have too much. But then to judge yourself for how you feel, that's like kicking a person when they're down. Right? Don't despise yourself for feeling weakness. The presence of weakness is not the, a sign that strength is absent. The feeling of weakness is not a sign that life is far from you. The feeling of weakness is not a sign that God's far from you. That's not what it is. 
And just allow yourself to, to, to let that judgment be plucked out of your heart. Right? The next time you feel weak, let it be a sign to you that the excellency is of God and not of yourself. The next time you feel weak, let it serve as a sign to you that God is strong and God is present. Right? And it doesn't really matter if you feel strong or not. You know, when we feel strong, we feel good. And we feel like we can do whatever. Right? We feel real nice, but the moment we feel weak, we feel like the world's coming crashing to the ground. We feel like we can't do anything. We can't accomplish anything. We can't get anywhere. Listen, that's not true because our strength isn't the power behind our life. Neither is the feeling of strength the power behind our life. It's God himself that is the power behind our life. And weakness isn't a sign our life is being overcome. It's just a sign that we're not God. And hallelujah, we're not God. Right? And so the next time you feel weakness, man, maybe you have to sit down, maybe you can just pray, put on some worship songs, whatever you want to put on. But just remember that it's not a sign you're being overwhelmed or that there's something wrong with you or that you're in unbelief. I remember God asked me one day, is it okay, Greg, if you feel weak? I didn't think it was. No! <laughs> and it just revealed what was serving me with so much pain. Yeah. Right? And he, he changed the judgment. Right? I still feel weak all the time. I thought I needed to get the weakness to never happen. I thought I got to get to the place where I never feel weak. And if I can get there, then hallelujah, that's salvation. Right? I need salvation from weakness. Now I find something else has happened, like the Apostle Paul said, where he began to rejoice in his weakness. Because he began seeing that the power behind his life wasn't whether he felt strong or not, it was God. And God's always feeling strong. Do you know when the strength of God was the strongest? When he looked the weakest on the cross. Boom! It makes foolish the wisdom of the world. Because the wisdom of the world says it's the strong. It's the noble. It's the wise. And here comes God. He's the strongest dude there is. And his strength came pouring out of him when the world judged him to be the weakest, most insignificant thing that ever was. Right? Paul, Paul began to learn this. And he said, rather, let me rejoice in my weakness. For your strength is made strong in the weakness. Right? It's okay for your mortal body to feel weak. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. Doesn't mean you're losing. We don't like losing. Right? In the States, we have this funny thing the kids do when they think they're losing. Loser. You know the L? My wife and I have this funny thing we say to each other. Winning. <laughs> you love to win, don't you? Winning. Listen, weakness isn't a sign that you're not winning. It's not. So if that's you, God is doing something in your life right now where he's going to make you, this is what he did with me, comfortably uncomfortable. Where you actually feel comfort in the midst of feeling uncomfortable. Because your mind becomes so filled with his presence, with him there. And you'll actually find yourself rejoicing in that place of uncomfortableness. And you'll actually find God starting to pour out of you in that place. Right? Which contradicts the mind. We think we need to feel strong in order for God to pour out of us. Listen, I just have to be honest. I don't feel strong right now. Right? I flew across the world and... Um, 
We had a house meeting, and I preached my brains out, and then we talked and talked and talked and talked and talked the gospel, and I love doing that. We talked the gospel, and then I preached last night, and I'm up all night talking the gospel, talking the gospel, and then I preached this morning, and we go to lunch, and we're talking the gospel, talking the gospel, and ask these guys, I got all fired up at lunch, <laughs> right? And it's like, man, God can be fired up all the time, but this mortal body sometimes is like, I need sleep, man. What are you going to do with that? You know? There's too much joy in this place. There's a joy in this place. I just want to be part of it for as long as I can. Right? There's like a corporate word, and I think I've said this before, but it's so it's so thick for me, I just have to say it again. There's a joy in Ireland. And that, some of you might think there is, and some of you might think, but there's so much heaviness or sorrow. And I don't say there's not a contradiction here. I mean, Jesus was the Son of God on the cross. And he didn't look like the Son of God, did he? No. It, it looked like there was a contradiction. And so I just see that there's a joy in this place. Something I know about human beings and God, we co-labor with God. And the way we co-labor with God is by releasing his spirit. Yes. Right? Because you see, God gave dominion over the earth to man. Right? And the way we release God into the earth is we declare his spirit. Amen. And so I'm just going to declare what I, I see, whether... Um, it looks like that or not. Yes. But there's a joy in this place. There's a joy, Amen. not just in this house here, but in all of Ireland that makes the joy in the rest of the world look insignificant. And it's like an exuberance for God. There's like a cry in the soul of the Irish people for God. There's like a purity in heart. No, it, it, it has nothing to do with correct theology. There's just a pureness in heart where you guys seem to really be longing after God. Yeah, and that's a powerful thing. That is a beautiful thing, and I feel like you know, like Paul said that he would, he had the thorn in the flesh because of the abundance of revelation that it would buffet him, that it would like push back against him, lest that revelation sweep forth across the earth. Listen, that thorn wasn't from God. That thorn was actually the Judaizers that were coming and ripping up the churches he was founding, going around preaching the grace of God, and they'd come right after him, and they would start planting the seeds of destruction. I feel like that the, there's a darkness in this world we know about, and I feel like it's trying to buffet the people of Ireland, because it doesn't want the joy that's in you guys to come out. Right? I just feel happy being around all of you all. I was telling Roisin and Brian, y'all are... <coughs> <laughs> and it's not just like you guys are great comedians. It's just that there's like a joy yeah, that is just powerful. And so if if you've heard there's a, a sadness or a sorrow or a darkness in Ireland or a dark cloud over Ireland, hogwash. What would y'all say? Is this a cuss word? Rubbish? <laughs> <laughs> There's a joy in the people of Ireland. And God is calling it forth. Yes. Right? And this is just going to be a blessing for you all. It's going to be a blessing for everybody in the world. Right? Because I live, I gotta be honest. I mean, if I'm talking as a fool now, I'm a very happy guy. And there ain't much that can get me now. And I feel something else here when I'm here. And I always do. I did last time. I feel something beautiful. I almost feel like I want to move here. 
<laughs> you think I'm joking? <laughs> I'm not. I'm serious. I'm about this life. I'm asking Kyle, how much did the house cost? <laughs> <laughs> what about this one? What about that one? <laughs> oh, glory to God. There's something beautiful here. God's calling it forth, right? And I just want to participate with that and call it forth. Amen. Um, I also think for somebody that's maybe been suffering or experienced suffering, and they've kind of been convinced to wear it like a badge of honor. Like, they're meant to suffer. And I'm suffering. And I'm supposed to suffer because I'm carrying my cross. Right? And they've got this twisted up theology where the enemy has convinced them that to take up your cross means to suffer. And that that's what it's talking about. Or that when Paul talked about the fellowship of his sufferings, that Paul was talking about, we must suffer, right? Listen, we all know we're going to encounter tribulation in the earth, right? We will encounter tribulation in the earth, but that's a big difference from thinking that you must suffer, right? And taking up your cross is not about how you need to suffer like Jesus suffered. That's not what it means. That's not the gospel. Take up your cross and follow me is talking about looking to the Father for life, just like Jesus looked to the Father for life. That's what it means to take up your cross. You know, even the reason why Jesus even ended up on the cross? Because he never looked to the world for his life. He never looked to his own strength to preserve his own life. Notice he didn't open his mouth when Pilate and everybody was confused, uh, uh, accusing him. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't try to, to, to justify himself. He just sat there. And so Jesus ended up on the cross because he never tried to preserve his own life. He never tried to find life through his own strength. He looked to the Father for life. That's why he said, Abba, into your hands I commit my life. That's what it means to take up your cross. It has nothing to do with you needing to go suffer like Jesus suffered. What it has to do with is you realizing you're dead to the world and the world's dead to you, which means the world is not the father of your life. Your life does not come forth from the world. And so this world is not where your life is hidden. And it's for you to see that God's the father of your life. And it's for you to look to the Father for life. When you need peace, you look to the Father for, for peace. When you need joy, you call upon the name of the Father. When your name or your reputation is under attack, you don't try to preserve your name or your own reputation, but you look to the Father for your name and your reputation to be held intact. When you, when you need to be set free from fear and you need to be set free from pain, you don't look to your own ability to save yourself from fear. You don't build up walls in your heart thinking, I must protect my heart from the fear and the pain. But you look to the Father to protect your heart from fear and pain. That's take up your cross. That's what it means to take up your cross. It's what Paul came and said, I was crucified with Christ. He wasn't talking about he suffered. Like we think of suffering. What he's talking about now is I see there was a faith in the Son of God's heart when he was nailed to a cross. And I see that the faith that was in his heart was that the Father would give him life. That's why he called out to the Father. And so Paul said, I live in this world now by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, who gave his life because he loved me. And Paul said, I see a faith in that guy's heart when he was suffering that he looked to the Father for life. And so now I'm living in this world looking to the strength in the Father's hand for life, and I'm not looking to the strength of my own hand or to the strength that's in this world for life. That's having fellowship with the sufferings of Jesus. Because Jesus had a faith in his heart when he was suffering. 
And the way you have fellowship with Jesus in his sufferings is you take upon yourself the same faith that was in his heart, which is there's no life found in this world. There's no life found in my own strength. The only life there is, is in the Father of lights in heaven. And when you find yourself believing that, you're living by the faith of the Son of God. You're living by the faith that was in his heart when he was being nailed to a cross. And that's giving you intimacy with him in his sufferings. Yeah, yeah. You see? Yeah. <laughs> Religion has a way to make everything so jacked up. Yeah. Have you ever noticed? Take up your cross. I mean, we have, I don't know if you guys have these guys like this here, but there's these people in the United States that actually will reenact the cross and get themselves to be nailed to the cross. Yeah. And they do it in the name of the Lord. I just got to say, you're doing despite unto the blood of Jesus when you do that. You're trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant. Yeah. And you're counting as common the blood of Jesus and what he did. Because he went to that cross like that, so you wouldn't have to. Amen. Amen. Right? But religion will come and say, take up your cross. And we turn it into something wonderful. Mm -hmm. Glory to God. Does that make sense? Okay. It always does. <laughs> That's like the voice of God. <laughs> it always does. Well, thank you guys for coming back tonight. Um, those of you that were here this morning, man, it's good to see all your faces again. Y'all are hardcore. Y'all yeah. are like me because I preached for a long time. Right? I mean, I can keep going. I don't know how long it was, but it was a long time. This new sister over here called the beginning part the preamble. You know, and the, the people in our church call it the message before the message, right? Because inevitably speaking, don't let the preacher do the announcements. You know what I'm saying? But at the church, they give me the announcements. So I get through like one announcement and then I'm preaching, you know, and I'm going. And then I go on for like 20 minutes before we even get to the message. Hallelujah. It's like I'm getting worked up. A ladder, you know, you got to get loose like a, a, a stretch, right? Glory to God. So thank you for um, coming back. Um, I'm going to keep building on um, some of the things that we were talking about this morning. Just bear with me while I find this. Hmm. We'll just pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are our dream country. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you care about our dreams and that you went to great lengths to make our dream come true. I just thank you, Father, that uh, our hearts can be ministered to, that our hearts can be healed, that our hearts can be comforted from whatever shattered dreams anyone might have, and that they might see that they've inherited that they might see that they are the heirs of you, that they've actually inherited all of you. Just thank you, Father, that you discern our hearts tonight and that you reveal to everyone here what their heart has always been groaning for. And I just thank you, Father, that you can minister the truth to them, that that which their heart has always been longing for and groaning for has come true in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Glory Amen. to God. Amen. You know, Paul says in Romans 8 that we're heirs of God. Yeah. Heirs of God. I mean, you know, sometimes you can think, well, I hope my parents have some, some money or some property, and I can inherit that. 
you know, and you can feel real good about thinking <laughs> that somebody let you in their will, right? And they let you something in their will, then their will could do the thing. I've inherited something. But Paul comes and says something powerful. He says we're co-heirs with Christ. And he says that we're heirs of God. That's a magnificent statement. And I think sometimes we just gloss over things in the Bible. And we just read it like we're reading a novel, right? And we think, okay, I read that verse already, on to the next one. Okay, I read that chapter already, on to the next one. And it's like, we're just trying to get through the Bible in a year. <laughs> Anybody ever done the Bible in a year? Right? Listen, that's the wrong way around it. The, the desire is good because you're thinking about, well, it's good to be in the Word. And so we're going to do the Bible in a year. But the Bible is not a novel. It's not the kind of story. It's not like Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. It's not the kind of thing that you're just reading through, right? Verse by verse and chapter by chapter. It's the kind of thing where you're supposed to read it and you're supposed to pause and get contemplative with the Lord and engage in a beautiful waltz with the Lord where you're caught up in this dance with God, twisting with him about what does this mean? Even the idea of getting through the Bible in a year. Listen, that's not a nice kind of a thing because you're just trying to rush through and make sure you get it done in a year. Mm -hmm. The goal isn't to know God. The goal is to do it in a year. <laughs> How about the goal just be walking with God in the cool of the day this year yeah. and talking with him and sharing your heart with him and letting him share his heart with you where you guys both pop your heart out on the table, where you both are vulnerable with one another, and through that, there's an intimacy, a deep intimacy that happens from which a life can come forth, right? From which he can bear his fruit in you. Because fruit, the fruit of God is manifested in our life through us having intimacy with God. Well, you can't have intimacy with God unless you're vulnerable with God, right? And he doesn't just demand that you become vulnerable, he understands like in relationships, you don't want to be vulnerable at first, do you? I mean, you'd be looking at the person with a swirly eye. <laughs> I don't know about this character. Can I trust him? My sweet wife, she didn't just immediately let herself be vulnerable. I mean, she's like, well, I don't know this dude. This dude's from New Orleans. He's strange and mysterious. He don't act like other people. He might hurt me. I better be guarded. Right? And that's why there's romance. That's why there's a wooing. Because there's a softening of a heart that could have walls, it could have barriers. So that in the heart, being romance, in the heart seeing that the person that's romancing them will never do them harm, never intends to do them harm, only intends to be good to them, only intends to ex exalt their life, only intends to lay down their own life for them. What happens is the walls start coming down, the need or the thought that you have to protect your heart comes down, and then what happens is you let yourself be vulnerable with the other person. That's called giving yourself over into the other person's arms. That's the foundation for where intimacy comes forth. And we all know out of intimacy comes forth fruit. It's the same kind of a way with God. You know, God doesn't just expect you to be vulnerable with him like that. Yeah. He understands that your heart could have issues. He understands that things could happen in your life. You know, my wife wouldn't just be vulnerable with me. One of the big reasons is because she had been abused in previous relationships. And she had felt like she had been disrespected. It made to look like a fool. And so she wasn't going to let that happen again, don't you know? Yeah. And so I'm going to, I'm watching you. That was like her mantra, I will not be made to look like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> and 
she doesn't realize she's saying it. But, it, you know, it's there. And so God doesn't just demand that we're vulnerable. Just like my wife suffered pain at the hands of previous relationships. And so there was a wooing and a romance that needed to go down in order for her walls to come down and her to feel vulnerable with me and for her to give herself over into my arms. God sees that we've encountered things in this earth. And he sees that those things could be like a previous relationship, where, right? Where painful things have happened that have caused us to be leery around God. Caused us to think, I don't know if I can trust him. Yes. After all, look what's happened. I don't know if I can be unguarded with him. I don't know if I can come to him with unreserved speech. I love that phrase. I mean, the scripture says unconcealed heart, but man, unreserved speech, right? That's how I feel like I was with God. I will not be made to look like a fool, and I feel like you let me look like a fool before, Lord. See, God understands we can encounter painful things in this world that will try to tell us something about God's love for us. Or God's goodness towards us. And he realized that can cause like a callus to grow or walls to be built up. A lot of times we don't even know walls have been built up. Right? It's not like we purposely did it. It's like the, the design of the human heart. The, the human heart was never created to ever feel pain. I don't know if you know that. It was never intended to ever feel pain, ever. And so when the heart feels pain, it's like a shocking thing to the heart. It's like a young child that's never encountered anything bad before or any type of hurt before. And they're just la, 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 la. Innocence, we call it, right? And they don't think there's a care in the world. They don't think they can get hurt. They don't think they can die. They don't think anything can happen. And then they encounter something traumatic for the first time. God knows that that's happened to us in this world. He knows what our heart will do when we encounter trauma. He knows our heart was never intended to encounter trauma. And he knows the second the trauma comes, the trauma is going to try to tell us something about him. Anybody ever try to tell you something bad about your boyfriend? He's running around. He's not being honest. That's what the trauma tries to tell us about God. He's not the lover of your life. He doesn't really care about you. He cares more about himself than he cares about you. And we even preach a gospel that helps reinforce that. We preach a gospel that talks about what God wants us to do for him. That's right. And we think our value to God is what we can do for him. I promise you that is not your value to God. I promise you God loves my life a lot more than what I can do for him. I promise you that. Do you know how I know? He came to give me eternal life, and I ain't going to be doing nothing for him in the new earth. He's going to be loving me with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength. He's going to be serving me with his life all his days. Yeah. Hallelujah. Right? But we get confused and think we're like a commodity that God uses. You ever felt used in a relationship? Like they didn't really see you or care about you? They just wanted to suck out of you whatever they could get? What did that do to your heart? How did your heart feel? And so God knows with this trauma we've encountered, he knows what it's going to do to the heart. And he knows the heart is going to have like a reaction. It's almost like a reflex reaction. Is that the right word? Is anybody here a doctor? Where you get like the knee or the elbow in a certain spot and just whack. Like you don't have to think about doing it. You don't have to try to do it. It's just going to happen. Well, that's the same way the heart is. There's just a reflex reaction. You don't have to try to build up a wall. You don't have to try to protect. The moment your heart feels trauma, your heart is going to think, we need to protect ourselves. 
And a lot of times, by the time you first encountered trauma, you hadn't known enough about God yet, right? To, to go, Abba! You don't know enough about God yet. You haven't matured in the faith. You're still a little child, or maybe you haven't even come to know God at all yet. And so you don't know enough to look to him. And you hear the voice telling you this trauma has come because he's not a good husband. Or he's not a good father. And the moment your heart feels that, it builds up walls. It's called a broken heart. And God knows this about us. And he knows that there's walls. And he is not upset about the romance. He's not looking at his clock thinking, when will they be vulnerable with me? When will they let me into their heart? When will they let me have this dance? He's not thinking like that. Ooh. You know why? Because your heart and your life is more precious to him than what he can get out of you. He's not trying to force himself onto you. That's right. He doesn't want to force himself onto you. He's actually excited about the dance. I wasn't discouraged by what my wife said. I mean, I remember the first time I saw I mean, I had a really bad relationship before I met uh, my wife. And I had actually... I realized that I had confused lust with love. And I was in this really bad relationship because I thought it was love, but it wasn't love, it was just lust. And so I didn't realize that until after the fact because I was a young guy, right? But afterwards, I, I saw it clearly, that wasn't love. <laughs> and I, so I swore, I, well, that ain't gonna happen again. I said, so Lord, you're gonna make me whole in my heart before I have any other relationship, right? So that I know it's real. I remember the first time I saw my wife walking down the stairs. It was like slow motion. <laughs> right? It was like, and her hair was like flapping. In <laughs> it was like, who's that lady? Who's that lady? And, uh, and so when she was, you know, a little, and she wasn't rude, but you could, she was guarded. That didn't discourage me. I didn't feel frustrated. I didn't think. Why won't she be Why won't she let me in? I got a big smile on my face in the back. And I just thought about who this woman. Because the value and the treasure I saw in her was much greater than anything that I thought I could get to meet my needs. And I thought I'm just gonna have fun when I saw this woman. That's how God feels. He doesn't come to man to let you for you to let him in your heart. What he comes to do is romance. Right? He comes to make himself vulnerable to you first. Mm -hmm. Right? He comes and bears his soul to you first. Yes. He comes and plops his heart out on the table first. Right? And then through that, he's, he ministers to you. And he starts speaking to you about the trauma you've experienced. And the, the pain you felt. And the broken heart that you had. And the walls that you built up. And he slowly and methodically romances you to the place where you forgot you need to protect yourself. You no longer see a need to protect yourself because you see there's no darkness in God. You see there's nothing in God to fear. And so you begin to be persuaded, this guy, God, forgive me for calling God this guy. I call God this guy because we're like close. And when I say this guy, I mean, there's nobody else like him, right? I say it innocently. It's actually a, a reverent term for me 
Because I'm so in awe of his goodness that I feel that safe with him. Like a little child that can just run into his lap and jump in his lap and pull in his beard, right? And say, Papa. But I said this guy once in a message and somebody got very offended online. You can't call God this guy. Lord help us. <laughs> We're a peculiar people, aren't we? I mean, we grow up with our traditions and we ought not let anybody mess with them. But Jesus said the traditions of man make the word of God of no effect. That the traditions in Israel were so great and so valuable to them that they couldn't even recognize God when he showed up. <coughs> this guy, you start realizing this guy doesn't possess the ability to harm your life. And you know, that's what holy means. We say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, we got a perverted, carnal view, religious view, perverted religious view of what holy is. You know, the word holy means to be set apart. It means to be sanctified. It would mean to be clean, undefiled. And do you know what it means? You're set apart unto? When, when, when God's called holy, you know what it means? It means he's set apart unto you having life. It means there's no death in him. He hasn't been defiled by death. It means he's clean. It means cleansed from death. You know when God cleanses us with the blood of Jesus? He wasn't cleansing us from our bad behavior. That's not what he was doing. He came to cleanse us from death. Why did he come and cleanse us from death? Because he never created us to ever experience death. He never intended us for ever to us to ever encounter death. And do you know what? God wants to have a friend. He's looking to have someone that will be with him all, not all our days, all his days. Yes. When I went to marry Becky, when I asked Becky to marry me, I wasn't looking for her to uh, be with me for all her days. I wanted her to be with me for all my days. I wanted to spend all my days loving her. I didn't want her for a decade or for 20 years. I wanted her for every moment I was going to be alive. And so that's what God's thinking for you. But God's going to be living a long time. He's not only living for 60 or 70 or 80 or 100 years. You can't even put a time on how long God's going to be alive. He's going to be alive forever. So when he created you, he created you to be alive forever. And when I asked Becky to marry me, my mind wasn't thinking of, what will this woman do to love me? In fact, I never thought of her giving anything to me. I thought, can I just convince this woman to let me love her? And so when God created us, that's what he was thinking. I want somebody that I can love. I want somebody that I can spend all my days loving with all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength. Well, guess what? That's you. Well, then he had a big problem, though, because we're dying. We never define the gospel by the dream God had for his own life. We all have dreams for our life, and we can feel brokenhearted because we can think our dream didn't come to pass. Well, we never think, why is it that we even have dreams? We never think of, maybe it's because we're in the image of God and God first had a dream. Well, what's this guy God's dream? Well, you know what he dreamt? He dreamt that there could be somebody like him. Somebody he could see himself in their face. Someone that could know his life and that could feel his love and feel his joy. And they could talk to him about it. And they could walk around and share life together for all eternity. That's what he was after with us from the beginning. 
and he walked the creation, and he made the trees, and the trees are nice. And he made the animals, and the animals are nice. And he made the, the sky, and the stars, and the moon, and the planets. And wow, they sparkle, they twinkle. Glory to God. That's good too, creation says. And he made the water, and the water's nice, and the fish is nice. But he looked through all of that, and he didn't see anything that looked quite like him. He didn't see anything that got his goat. He didn't see anything that when they walked down the stairs, it was slow motion. And the wind was flapping in the hair. Who's that lady? He didn't see anything like that. He didn't see anything that was the apple of his eye. And then he made us. Oh no, he saw. It says he got down on one knee. It says that God blessed Adam. And do you know what that word blessed in the Hebrew means? That means to get down on one knee in adoration of another. What do we do when we propose? Get down on one knee. Oh, I wonder where we got that from. We have no idea how closely related we are to God. We have no, we don't, it's like we forget that we're the God kind. We forget we're the image of God. We forget that Paul said we live and move and have our being in God. And we forget that when Paul said that, he said it on Mars Hill to a bunch of pagans. He didn't say it to a bunch of believers. And so he's describing that there's so much about us and what we do, even when we haven't believed yet and we don't know, there's so much about our behaviors and mannerisms that come from God. And so when you look at what happened, God's got a problem with us dying because that messed up the dream he had for his life. God felt brokenhearted. We talk about God being brokenhearted when we've done something bad. Anybody ever told you that? When you messed up and done something bad, God's disappointed. He's brokenhearted. Well, it's true, God can feel brokenhearted, but I promise you, the broken heart God had was that the one that he loved, the one that he wanted to spend all his days loving with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, they're dying now. And he never created them to die. That's holy. He's set apart unto serving you with life. He's set apart unto bringing forth life. He's set apart unto removing death. That's what we see he did in the resurrection, isn't it? You want to know what makes God holy? You're supposed to define everything in the scriptures and everything about God by the word made flesh. You know it says the word was made flesh. We know that, right? John chapter 1, the word was made flesh. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was made flesh. Do you know the word about what makes God holy was made flesh in Jesus? But we come along and decide for ourselves what it means that God's holy. Forget about the word made flesh. We don't care that this is the word about God and what it means to make God that God's holy. Forget about that. We got our own ideas. And I'll tell you like God told me. We don't get to decide what it means to make God holy. He gets to decide. And his word was made flesh so he could tell us what it means that he's holy. And all of our thoughts and opinions could be thrown in the garbage can. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. We got a church in the earth 
that thinks holiness is to punish sinners. And so we're busy hating sinners. We don't even realize what that does inside of us if we think the holiness of God and the righteousness of God is about how he's going to punish sinners. It don't take a holy, righteous person to punish sinners. We've got jails punishing sinners right now in this world. Sin carries within itself its own punishment. God don't need to come and give an assist to sin. Sin carries death within it. And sin serves people with death. It doesn't need God's help. What makes God holy? Because any person in the earth can punish a sinner. You don't need God for that. The devil punishes sinners. We come and describe God in the image of the serpent. Yeah. And we don't realize what that does in our hearts and the damage it works in our hearts to keep us from trusting the God that we want more than anything to trust. Yeah. Well, it's a wicked thing because in our hearts we really want to trust God. But then everything we believe about God makes it impossible for us to trust. And we just keep going along, singing the songs, doing the cliches. I say it this way because I myself have lived through all that. Right? It takes a righteous person to heal a sinner. It takes a righteous person to lay down their life for the ungodly. The scripture says, well, somebody might lay down their life for a righteous person. Somebody might lay down their life for someone that's good. But God demonstrated his righteousness that while we were yet ungodly, he laid down his life. That's what makes God holy. That he come to justify the ungodly. That he came to serve the ungodly with life. That he came to cleanse those who were in bondage to death and had been clothed in a body of death. He came to cleanse them from death. That's what makes God holy. That's why you feel so happy. That's why the verse says those who are forgiven much love much. Because when you see that kind of a God, man, you're filled with love, I promise you. And the word forgiveness, I think I preached this the last time I was here. The word forgiveness doesn't mean that God went to an anger management program and got it right to no longer be mad at you. The traditions of man make the word of God of no effect. We've attributed the, that meaning to that word forgiveness. But that's not what the word forgiveness means in Hebrew. That word has nothing to do with being mad with somebody and then no longer being mad with them. Do we really think God can be offended? We busy telling each other that if we're in unforgiveness, that can hurt our life. But we think God was in unforgiveness? And we think God was offended? None of us think it's good to be offended, but we think God was offended? We don't even think about how ridiculous these things are that we say about God. The word forgiveness in Hebrew means to divorce one party from another. It means to send something away from someone. And so when we talk about God has forgiven our sin, the wages of sin was death. God didn't want us to die. He had a real big problem with us dying. So he forgave our death. He came and divorced us from death. He's holy. And when you see that this God loves you so much that he came and divorced you from death, and the way he divorced you from your union to death is he entered into your body of death and died away your death in your union to death at that time. And now you're separated from death. You start loving much. Yes, yes. I mean, Paul says in Romans 7, unless the husband dies, you're not free to be married to another. Well, we were married to death. 
But God wanted to be our husband. Well, he's got a problem. He can't be married to us because we're married to death. So the only way he could be married to us is if he could divorce us from death, and then we could be free to be married to another. That's the forgiveness of sin. Think of it this way. He forgave my death. You ever been mad at somebody because they're dying? No. I mean, my mom, my mom just got diagnosed with cancer. Stage four. You think I got mad at her because she was dying? Because the cancer now tried to say she was dying? No. You know what I felt inside of me? I felt the same thing God felt inside of him. I laid my hands on her and I said, let this cancer be divorced from my mother. Yeah. And Thursday, I'll probably preach about the new heart. See, what all the things we're talking about right now is the new heart. It's not that God hated your heart and you were evil to God and he had to like get rid of your heart because it's disgusting to him. And now he come and give you a nice new one. It's that the image you had in your heart of him was defiled. And now your heart was hard to God. Because of all the things we've been talking about. What he comes to do is cleanse his image in your heart so that your heart becomes soft again, so that your broken heart is healed, so that all the blasphemous things this world has said about his intentions towards you could be plucked out of your heart. And you would have a heart of flesh. Flesh is soft. So you would have a heart that was soft to God, meaning you could see his goodness clearly. Oh man, I'm never going to get this message. <laughs> I haven't even started it. I think the only thing I did was mention the broken heart. This has got something to do with it. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? We've defined all these things in the gospel through the carnal mind. That's a mind staying with sin and death. And it's blinded us to what these things actually mean. And it's created a gigantic stumbling block to us experiencing the God we all know we love. I've loved God my whole life since I was three. Like, you really love God. I, I wanted more than anything to trust God. But I found myself always doing these things and indicated I didn't trust Him. And then I condemned myself for not trusting Him as good as I wanted to. All the while not realizing the image I had of God made it impossible for me to trust Him. And God saw that was the problem. God wasn't upset with me because I wasn't trusting him. God doesn't judge after the flesh. Jesus says, I judge no one after the flesh. When the woman was thrown at his feet, caught in the act of adultery, and the Pharisees came and said, Moses said, she should be stoned. Jesus didn't judge her after the flesh. He didn't judge her after what was coming out of her. In fact, he says, I judge no one that way. He saw what was going on in her heart. And he saw the only reason why that she would be committing adultery is if she was living like an orphan. We call it the orphan spirit, where you don't know you have a heavenly father who's with you to care for your life, who's with you to give you what you need for life. And because of that, you're living as if you're an orphan and you're trying to gather life to yourself. And the more you try to gather life to yourself, the more you're going to find the fruit of death coming out of you. And so Jesus knew this woman just doesn't know the goodness of the father. This woman doesn't know that God would never condemn her to death, but that God is the justifier of the ungodly. 
This woman is unbelief towards the goodness of the Father. And so Jesus said, the way I'm going to fix the adultery that's coming out of this woman is I'm now going to stand up in this temple. I'm God. Yeah. And I'm now going to stand up in this temple and I'm going to heal her blindness. And I'm going to reveal the goodness in my heart to her right now. And what did Jesus do? Moses says such to be stoned. Jesus gets down on the temple floor on the stone and writes with his finger. What does it say the law was written with? The finger of God. Jesus says, you presume to tell me what Moses says? I wrote the law. In a little bit, he stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Do you know when he stood up and said he was the light of the world? It was the day they were celebrating the law as the light of the world. And so Jesus says, you think Moses says God condemns this woman to death? That's not what Moses says. Moses says, should a person trust in their own strength for life, that condemns them to death. But that God heals the sinner. And so then what does Jesus stand up and do? Removes the accusers. Removes the sense of death that's hanging over her. He stands next to her as her advocate. He stands next to her and justifies her. He bullies the bullies. And he does it peacefully. Man, when we bullied the bullies, we had to get our knuckles black. Jesus, this guy, Jesus, my man bullies the bully without even, like, you know, with no violence. Blessed are the peacemakers. He gave that woman a new heart. You see, because she had a defiled image of God in her heart. One that kept her from trusting. And Jesus saw the problem is she can't trust me. And he understood that it made sense that she couldn't trust him. Because the things she believed about God would make it impossible for her to trust him. So let me heal her blindness. Let me show her what God's really like. (laughs) When you see what God's really like, it becomes easy to trust him. When you see what he's really done, it becomes easy to trust him. And it's his good pleasure to bring forth trust in your heart. He doesn't tell you to trust. He comes to bring forth trust. And the way he brings forth trust is by showing you his goodness towards you. Right? I never told my wife, you just have to trust me. That's ridiculous. You know when you tell somebody, you just have to trust me? No offense. If any of you said that, I'm not judging you. I understand how it can happen. When you say something like that, you're thinking of yourself and not the other person. You're thinking of the pain you feel. Right? And so we've all done things when we felt pain. Right? That's why we're not God. You guys follow yeah. what I'm saying? How much time do I have left? How much time has it been? Does anybody know? <laughs> I'm going to try and figure out where I'm going to jump in. You know, it's like, do y'all do the jump rope here? You know, where you get like, you got four jump ropes going at one time, and you're like, you have some idea how much longer you should be here, then I'll figure out where to jump in. Jesus, in Luke, this is one of my favorite verses. Uh, it's a big pillar in my life with God. But Jesus says in Luke 4, 17, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. How does he heal the brokenhearted? Why are our hearts broken? Why would our hearts be broken in a relationship if we think that the other, the person in the relationship had been bad to us and rejected us. We could be broken hearted. We, we struggle to make these connections. 
we were broken hearted because we thought God rejected us yeah. because of our sin. Yeah. Some of you might say, but it says, He hid His face from us. Well, it says, For a little while I hid my face from you in Isaiah. You know what it says right after that? I think I said this last night. But with everlasting kindness have I gathered you to myself. You know what that word everlasting means? Without beginning or end. With perpetuity. That's right. You know what he's saying? I know you guys think that my face was hidden because I was rejecting you. But it was part of my everlasting kindness towards you to gather you to myself. You see, because you were married to death. And I could never bless your union to death. I could never grant your union to death eternal life. So just like a father might turn his back on his daughter if she came home with a serial killer because he's not going to bless that union, God hid his face from our union to death because he couldn't bless it. Now we concluded he was rejecting us. Just like a daughter, if she brought home a guy to her dad and she wanted her dad to bless the union and the dad might see this guy bad news. And so he could never bless the union. And so he might, in the States, if the father doesn't bless the union, he would turn his back on it. His face doesn't shine upon it. He refuses to bless it. Now, when the father would do that, is it because he's rejecting his daughter? No. And so we were brokenhearted because we thought God's face being hidden from our union to death was God rejecting us. But he was rejecting our death. He was rejecting the fact that we were dying. Because it broke his heart that we were dying. And so now Jesus comes to heal the brokenhearted. And you know how he comes to heal the brokenhearted? He comes to reveal that he, God had never rejected us. He comes to reveal the beauty God sees in us. He comes to reveal the goodness in God's heart to us. He comes to show us how this God that we think rejected us. I mean, think about what we're even thinking. This God that came into the earth and rather die himself than let us die, that's the same God that rejected us? Uh, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe we misinterpreted our husband. Sing ye that we're barren. Your maker is your husband. We thought God rejected us because we were barren. We weren't bearing fruit for him. God saw it was because we were fornicating with death. <laughs> and so we were bearing the fruit of death. So he hid his face from that so he could divorce us. And now Jesus comes to heal the brokenhearted. He comes to reveal that God never abandoned us. That God never rejected us. That God rather died himself than let us die. That's what he came to reveal. To set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You know the acceptable year of the Lord we were talking about earlier, the Jubilee. The acceptable year of the Lord is the Jubilee. And what it, the acceptable year of the Lord is a very significant term to the Jewish people, which is why Jesus would have said it in that place. During the acceptable year of the Lord, it was declared that your indebtedness was gone. And so you could come home to your inheritance. Right? Well, guess what? We were never indebted to God. You never owed God a debt. I said you never owed God a debt. It says we were all our days in bondage. To the devil through the fear of death. So, because we were stunned by death in our hearts and filled with fear, we were always laboring and toiling, trying to gather life to ourselves. That was our bondage. The acceptable year of the Lord, Jesus came to declare, is that he divorced us from death 
in that we can come home to our inheritance. You know what our inheritance is? God. The incorruptible eternal life that God has in himself. That's our inheritance. That's the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what the gospel declares in all of the earth. The gospel declares to every human being, you're not an orphan. You have a father. And because you have a father, you have an inheritance. And your inheritance is all that he is and all that he has in himself. His incorruptible life. Come home. Yeah, come on. And I promise you, God's like the good father in the, the prodigal son story. Always looking on the horizon, wanting his son to come home. And he ain't looking for you to say he's, you're sorry. When the son came and he tried to say all the things he wanted to say, did the father want to hear any of it? No, no. no he fell on his neck. Do you know he just come from being in pig slop? Do you know what you smell like when you've been rolling around with pigs? Do you know why they use pigs in that story? Because pigs are unclean to Jewish people. It's the most unclean thing you could have. It's a sign of being defiled with death. Yeah. And the father fell on his neck, unreserved. Bring him into the house. Put my robe on him. Put my ring finger on him. He's my son. The gospel is telling people, God has divorced you from death. You no longer have to labor trying to preserve your own life from death. You no longer have to sweat from the brow trying to clothe yourself in peace and love and joy. You have an inheritance in God and it's in his incorruptible life. And there's a peace and a love and a joy that passes understanding in his incorruptible life. His incorruptible life will clothe you. It will clothe your heart. It will purify your heart from fear. It will tear down the walls of self-preservation where you've been working to guard your heart from pain, where you've been working to save yourself. It will bring down the Walls. It'll make you vulnerable. It'll cause you to give your life over into the hands of God. Amen. And then you become exceedingly fruitful. Yeah. You're bearing the fruit that He produced. We, do you guys realize how bad we want to be fruitful? Seriously. Like, it bothers you when you don't think you feel peace, doesn't it? I mean, how many people are like, hallelujah, I don't feel peace. <laughs> oh, I love this morning. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> no, it's like we inherently love. Torment is not good. Torment is contrary to my life. It's like we, we know that inherently. Nobody had to teach me torment's not good. Like, I felt it. Okay, that's not good. No, thank you. It's not thank you, may I have another. No, thank you. Can you take it away? We want to be fruitful more than anything. It bothers us when we're not fruitful. Listen, I even have fruit trees in my yard at, at the house. One of them is a satsuma tree. And it skips years sometimes. And, and this past year, man, there wasn't a lot of satsumas. And it was the strangest thing. You'd think it'd be neither here nor there. It's not like we sell the satsumas. So it's, it's not like our livelihood depended on it. But I, I'm, I tell you, I walked out there and I didn't see the fruit. Yeah, I felt this isn't right. It's unjust. And I felt sad. What's wrong with this tree? <laughs> and I thought as I'm sitting there doing that, the Lord comes and starts talking to me about, yeah, the reason why it bothers you is because you know you were created to bear much fruit. You know you were created for peace and love and joy. 
And the moment you don't think you have peace and love and joy, it follows you. And when we don't feel peace and love and joy, have you ever heard the voice when you don't feel peace and love and joy, where's your God now? Yes. Do you ever notice how when you don't feel peace and love and joy, you feel distant from God? You feel like there's no intimacy. <laughs> right? And then your mind starts running wild with all the ideas about why would you do that? What have I done? I see that in my relationship with my wife. I'm never upset, but sometimes she thinks, right? I could be distracted. I, I could, listen, minute, I love ministering the gospel, but I tell you this people don't call the preacher when things are going well. <laughs> People call the preacher when all hell is broken loose, when death is at the doorstep. And listen, it's my good pleasure to walk with everybody and to sit with everybody and to minister to the truth. But I'm a human being, and sometimes I get too focused on the pain. And it can distract you. And you could be in the house, and you could be lost in your thoughts, thinking about the people, thinking about wanting to pray for them, thinking about wanting their lives to be healed. And your wife could be sitting there and thinking you're not paying attention to her. And then you've been gone all day, and you don't even want to talk to her when you come home, and she could think it's her. And she could think that's why you're distant. And that same kind of dynamic happens with us when we don't see the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives. Or we don't think we're fruitful. Or we feel barren. We feel that same thing with God, and we feel brokenhearted. It's not a sign God's not near you. Just like I wasn't, I wasn't far from my wife. Right? It wasn't a sign I was dissatisfied with my life. It's not a sign that God's far from me. It's a sign that we're walking in a world that's filled with death that we were never created to see death. Imagine taking a being that was never created to see death and then sticking them in a world where all they see everywhere is death. Imagine what that might do to them. Right? And so God knows that. And so then we feel brokenhearted like God's far from us. So what God did was he entered into the earth to give us what we were all dreaming for. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope's deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Right? There's a song in the States called The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. It is, it's based on old movies. I think Green Day is the band that, that plays the song. I walk these lonely streets on the boulevard of broken dreams. While the city sleeps, I walk, I walk alone. Shattered dreams, right? The heart that's sick is the heart that has shattered dreams. It's a heart that thinks that their dreams not only haven't come true, but the time has passed where they could even come true. And their mind is only filled with regret because they're thinking back to all the things that if they could have gone this way or that way, it could have all been changed. If it could have just gone this way, then I could have had my dreams. If it could have gone that way, then I could have my dreams. And you're filled with regret, you're filled with disappointment, and you're filled with all the things you think were failures that destroyed your dream. That's what makes a heart sick. You know, we're all groaning for something. I don't know if it was earlier today or tonight, but Billy talked about all of creation is groaning in travail. You know that Paul goes on to say, and we're groaning with them. What are we groaning for? What are we dreaming for? What is the dream we really have?
for something. Is there anybody in here that didn't grow up dreaming about something? We all had a dream for our life, didn't we? We all had an image of how we thought our life could go or would go. We all had an image of our life that if it went just the way we thought it could go, then we could have peace and love and joy. Then we could have content. Then we could be whole. Then we could be complete. Then we could feel satisfaction. And then as we walk through this world, those dreams become shattered many times. Because they don't play out the way we think it should play out. Right? It doesn't happen the way that we thought it should happen. And listen, if when we think of our life, we see it as having been defiled by something that's happened or something that hasn't happened in the world, our hearts will remain sick. And we'll, you'll end up with a broken heart. You'll, you'll, you'll be hunched over and you'll, you'll hang your head in sorrow. You won't look at people in the eye, right? You, you'll feel like that's the dude and cast away. You know the woman in the scriptures that was hunched over that Jesus healed? It says she could by no means lift herself up, broken hearted. And what did Jesus say? Woman, I love how he says that. Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. I mean, seriously, any of you grow up dreaming and thinking that that could come to pass? Oh, hallelujah. And then something comes in. We've all had things go wrong in our life. We've all had things happen that hurt us or cause us pain. Right? When life doesn't turn out the way we've imagined, when bad things happen, man, we think that we have now lost out on a blessed life. I think about things. I said that before, probably. I say that because I think about you all and start thinking about what you believe with God and why you believe. But you ever wonder why we even have dreams? I mentioned it earlier. That's not some accident. There's a reason why we had a dream in our heart. Now, I think many of us are confused about what we're actually dreaming for. And because we feel something in our heart that we can't explain, we end up trying to put an image on it by finding something in the world. And we think we're dreaming of that. For me, when I was a little boy, one of the things I could do, I had this great ability to run. Until I had all these scholarships lined up, right? To, for college and for high school. And I had all these companies lined up wanting to give me sponsorships to run and be in the Olympics, right? And so the Olympics became my dream, right? And I realized that now that the reason why the Olympics became my dream is because I thought that would be the power and to be having peace and love and joy. I thought that would be the power and the wholeness, completeness. I thought that would be the power unto me being seen to be valuable. I thought I could reach my potential. If you have eternal life, you've reached your potential. That's right. Because the greatest potential of any human being is for them to overcome death and live eternally with God. And if you have eternal life, you've maximized your potential. So let the world come and define your potential by some ability you have. You might be able to enjoy that ability, but don't confuse your potential with that ability. Because it will leave you broken heart. Yeah. So I thought I could be revealed to be full of glory and honor. I could be in the Olympics. I could win gold medals. Break world records. After all, look at this ability. It's how I dream. But you know what I was really dreaming of was eternal life. I was really dreaming 
of an incorruptible life. I was really dreaming of the kind of peace and love and joy that can only come to you through God and his life. But I didn't know enough about what I was dreaming of to see that's what it was. And so I set my heart on these corruptible things that could never cause my dream to be realized. And when they didn't happen, it left me brokenhearted, wondering, where's God? Why didn't he come through? Doesn't he care about my dreams? Why did he fail? I ended up getting really hurt in a race and couldn't run anymore competitively. <coughs> and I promise you, I heard the voice, where's your God? If he loves you, why wasn't he there? Why did he let this happen? He doesn't care about your dream. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And I'm reading from the Amplified. This is telling us about our dream and what it is in our heart that we're actually dreaming of. Okay? He has made everything beautiful in its time. He also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. He has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. That's the dream. That's what we're dreaming of. We want to be clothed in peace and love and joy. That's why it bothers us so much when we don't feel it. We want an incorruptible life. That's what we're dreaming of. We want a life that can't be harmed. We want a life that can't be stolen from. We want a life that, that can't be overcome. That's what we're all dreaming of. That's why we're bothered so much when something bad happens. That's why we feel so brokenhearted. He has also planted eternity in men's hearts and minds, a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. So he put this thing in our heart so we'd be dreaming of him. Paul would come and describe it in Acts 17 when he's talking to the pagans on Mars Hill. He would come and say, God has set forth our habitations. In him we live and move and have our being. And what he's saying when he says, in him we live and move and have our being, what he's saying is God is set apart unto life. God desires to see life. God is desiring to see life manifest in you. God wants to see life manifest in everything. And because we live and move and have our being in him, we're also wanting to see life manifest. We're also wanting to see corruption removed. We're also groaning like the rest of creation, desiring for these mortal bodies to be redeemed from death and for this earth to be cleansed from death. That's what we're dreaming of. That's what God's dreaming of. And the reason he put this eternity in our hearts, Paul says, is so that we might seek after him if happily we might find him. It's like a honing signal that he's put in our hearts. Everybody in the earth, whether they believe in God, whether they know they're living and moving and having their being in God, everyone in the earth is seeking life. Everyone. It's just some people don't know where life is found. And so that eternity is a honing signal inside of us to cause us to be seeking God. And you know, he's not just sitting somewhere far away thinking, well, I hope they find me. I didn't leave any breadcrumbs, though, you know. <laughs> he's also seeking us. It's a homing signal. You guys see, there was the movie E.T. E.T. Remember E.T.? He had this homing signal inside of him. He had a longing for home that would kick in. Right? Oh no, oh no. 
seeking home. I mean, listen, it was nice here for a little while. I mean, he had Reese's Pieces. I mean, chocolate and peanut butter. That's not nice. <laughs> That's not as nice as Jimmy's dessert, so. But chocolate and peanut butter is nice, and he was happy eating chocolate and peanut butter for a little while, but that could never satisfy the longing in his heart for home. And eventually, he wanted to get home. And he had a burning to get home, to seek home. And then when he tried to get home and he couldn't get home, his dream couldn't come true, and his heart became sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. His heart became sick, and he started to die. He had a broken heart. I can't get home. I can't find life. That's our broken heart. I missed out on life. I lost out on life. The young people have FOMO, fear of missing out. There's no FOMO in eternal life. The people in my generation and maybe older, it's a bucket list, right? Yeah. You list all the things you're going to do before you die. But Jesus said you're not going to die. So why are we busy with the list trying to do all the things that we want to do before we die or we're not going to die? There goes my list. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Really, I'm not. It's good. It's good. I say I'm sorry so you guys can know. Sometimes I can be, you know. <laughs> and I say I'm sorry so you know that I'm actually very kind and gentle. Even though I can get riled up and you can think, oh my goodness, look at his face. <laughs> He's scary. <laughs> I'm actually kind and gentle. <laughs> but then when they made the, the machine in E.T., he, he saw that it was sending the signal and he was going to get home. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Mm -hmm. What happens? His heart's burned inside his chest. And he stood up, the flower came alive. And he stood up, phone home, phone home, E.T. phone home, E.T. phone home. And they had to like, shut up, bro, we're trying to sneak him out. That's what happens in us when we find the eternal life we were dreaming of. This joy comes alive inside of us. We realize our dreams haven't been shattered. We're not walking on the boulevard of broken dreams. There's a different song we're singing. We're no longer singing, I walked along this lonely street. You know, we have a new song in our heart when we realize that our dream has come true in Jesus. Jesus is your dream come true. The substance of everything we were longing for manifested in Jesus. The life you we were longing for manifested in Jesus. The fruit you're longing for manifested in Jesus. And oh, by the way, the God you concluded didn't care about your dreams. He cared so much, he laid down his own life to bring your dream to a reality. And it heals a broken heart. And it becomes a tree of life. And the song you start singing now is, Fairy tales can come true. They can happen to you. When you're young and hard. You notice how the song in itself even says the fairy tale can come true when you're young in heart. What does the scripture say about our youth being renewed? Why do we long for youth? Why do we long for strong bodies? Why do we yearn for these things? It's because there's eternity in our hearts. There's a glorified body that's in our hearts. And the glorified body and the glorified incorruptible life we want was revealed in, in Jesus. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word faith there, it's an act. It's not a verb. 
It's not saying your ability to believe is the substance of things hopeful. The very next chapter says Jesus is the beginning and end of faith. And so you can take Jesus from chapter 12, put his name into the word faith in chapter 11, and you can say Jesus is the substance of things hoped for. He's the evidence of things not seen. He's the evidence that the dream that we've always desired for ourselves has come true, even though, as John said, we don't yet see our bodies glorified. We know as he is now, so are we in this world. Your dream has come true. Be loose. Stand up straight. Let your back be made straight. Let your head be held high. Your maker is your husband. God discerned our heart first. We didn't even know what we want. You know, like little kids think they want stuff? They don't know what they want in the parents' house, but no, no, no. I don't understand. We didn't even know what we want. We had eternity in our hearts, and we didn't even know what eternity was because death entered into us. And all we could see is death and corruptible things. And we're left in the world walking around trying to satisfy this eternity in our hearts with corruptible things. And that was leaving us laboring and toiling and brokenhearted. Well, God come and discern for us what he wanted when he raised Jesus from the dead in a glorified and corruptible life. And he came and showed it to us. And he says, isn't this what you've been after? Isn't this what you want? Really? Isn't this your dream? A life that overcomes death? A life that can't be harmed? A life that can't be stolen from? A life that is all things, that overcomes all things? A life that feels all things? Believes all things? Hopes all things? Isn't this what you want? The Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus encountered the glorified man Jesus. And it changed everything for him. Because Paul had been seeking the kingdom of God through the things in the world. In fact, Paul thought the reason why he was going to inherit life is because he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day, according to the righteousness of the law, blameless. And he thought those things were going to give him what he was dreaming of, but he didn't know what he was dreaming of, really. And then he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he thought, oh my goodness, that's the end of all things. That's what I've been after this whole time. And immediately he counted all the other things he was trying to gather to himself to make his dreams come true. He counted them all as dumb. It says, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, so he could have intimacy with the power of the resurrection, which was the life that he found out he was always dreaming of that God came to give him as a gift. Hmm. Within Jesus is the word that God never failed you. Within Jesus is the word that your dreams haven't been shattered. Within Jesus is the substance of what you've really been dreaming of. And it's the evidence that God is coming to me to because he loves you. He really loves you. And now you see you were never rejected by your maker. And not only were you never rejected by your maker, but that eternity that he put in your heart so that you would seek him, that desire for eternity, it's been satisfied now. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, for the desire of the poor is a tree of life. And now our desire has been fulfilled and it's a tree of life. Hallelujah. <laughs> and we'll finish with this because y'all are a blessed people. <laughs> Psalm 37 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. You know, I always read that heart. I'm desiring this, that verse. I'm, I'm desiring all these things. 
And now, if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give them all to me. <laughs> I've seen people do some perverted things with that. There was a woman in the States that decided she wanted to be married to Kenneth Copeland. But I don't know if you know, he was already married. <laughs> so she began delighting herself in the Lord and actually praying for his wife to die, thinking that God would give her the desire of her heart. But we're reading that verse completely wrong when we think that, well, we desire these things, and if we delight in God, then he'll give us these things. God will give us lots of things for us to enjoy, but that's not what that verse is talking about. We can enjoy all the things in this earth, but none of those things can actually satisfy us. Right? I love my wife. My wife can't satisfy me. You know, why? Because I'm longing for eternity, and my wife can't give me eternity. Right? I love my wife. My wife can't make me whole. Right? You know why? Because only eternal life can make me whole. I love my wife, and I know we've romanticized love, and I really love my wife like you can't even possibly imagine. I'll come to tears later on tonight because I didn't get to talk with her today. Right? Because I miss my wife. But my wife can't complete me. Mm-hmm. And in the day, I'm looking to her to do all those things. It's going to crush our marriage. Yeah. The reason why we have so much divorce, even in the church, is because the world has taught us that a spouse is our Prince Charming. And if we combine our Prince Charming, which is a man for women and a woman for man, then we can be whole. Then we can be complete. That's a heavy burden to put on another human being. And you know what happens every time you don't feel complete? You start blaming them. Every time you don't feel whole, you start blaming them. That crushes marriages. It destroys them. Why do we even have fairy tales? Where do we even dream up with this hell? Because we live and move and have our name in God. And they get it right. There is a Prince Charming. It's just that it's God. It's not another human. And marriages would flourish so much more if we stopped looking to be made whole for one another and we stopped trying to suck life out of one another and we both come to the place where we realize we find life in God and then we just come together and share life with one another. We got a funny saying in the South. Because, you know, we can be kind of redneck. I don't know if y'all know what that means. But y'all know what ticks are? Yeah. Well, the way we've created marriage, even in the church, it's like two ticks and no dog. <laughs> Both people trying to suck life out of one another. Yet neither one of them have life in themselves to give. And then we blame one another. Every time we feel lack, then we cannibalize one another. That's free marriage advice. <laughs> Relationship advice. I learned that through much suffering. <laughs> delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. What the psalmist is saying, delight means to look to something for the source. Right? Now, we just proved what we're desiring. Right? So, this isn't just talking about any desire, it's talking about the desire for an incorruptible life, the desire for peace and love and joy. The desire for eternity, eternal life. Look to God for the source of the light you've been desiring, and you will find your desire is satisfied. I've been satisfied. I have. I have. And I, I can honestly say, I feel whole. And I can honestly say, things go wrong still. And I can tell you it doesn't happen anymore. I never feel unwhole. I never feel incomplete. Because I realized those things, going right or wrong, could never satisfy my desire to begin with because they could never give me eternity. They've been moved out of the realm of being able to satisfy or take away. 
And now, I'm like E.T. all the time, right? When he was happy, I was Does that make any sense? Yes. Man, glory to God. I've enjoyed myself tonight. <laughs> I really enjoyed myself tonight. Jesus is your dream come through. Your dreams haven't died. Your broken heart has died. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be loosed from your infirmity. In the name of Jesus, be made whole. In the name of Jesus, receive you the dream you've always had for your life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. You guys have a great evening. I don't know. Seven? 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, you're open to already.